0: You'll see in verse uh, 21 through 23, uh, I'm going to focus on the lamp. Look what he says here yet again. And he said unto them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except it come to light. He, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. So you can see once again that Jesus is kind of building up to this thing, Hey, I want you to hear. I want you to hear what I am saying. And once again, we think about that in physical terms, but remember, we're talking about in spiritual terms. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just hear with your ears, but I want God's Spirit to work in your life where you hear with your heart, Right? To where literally the very act of us hearing the Word of God and comprehending what God is saying, church, is in itself a gift of God. That you are not able to hear from God unless God allows you the privilege of being able to hear from Him. Because the truth of Scripture is, it says that apart from Christ, that we are dead, That we are dead in sin and trespasses. I'm reminded of what Paul even told the the church at Rome. He says, nobody seeks after God. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to find God. I want to seek God. No, we know, church, through the power of God's Spirit, that God's Holy Spirit sought us out, right? We know that God sought us out. We know that God brought us to the gospel. We know the gospel was brought to us because God was sending somebody to us. So in the whole salvation experience, your salvation experience, does not rest on your works, but it rests on the finished work of Christ being brought to you by the work of the Spirit, who has been sent by the Father and the Son, so that you could be with the Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity. That's all an act of God. That you and me don't seek after God. We're told in scriptures that the man and that man sees the light and he runs from the light. Because nobody likes the light. I'm reminded every morning. Uh, sometimes Esther wakes up before the dawn, and you go in there and you turn the light on or open the blinds, and she immediately, I mean, she looks like Gollum, Amen, uh, running from the cave light. I mean, you know, she does not like when you turn the lights on. Nobody. If I were to wake you up and shine a flashlight in the middle of the night, you would be blinded because you don't like the light when you're in darkness. I love Jesus' very very, elementary language here. Look what he says. He says, nobody takes a lamp and puts it underneath a bushel. Nobody takes a lamp, puts it underneath the bed. He says, no, you take the lamp and you stick it on the lamppost. You stick it on the lampstand. Now in our culture, once again, we're not we're not Amish, amen. We don't have candles light in our home. We all complain when the power goes out and we have to break out those candles that got dust on them and blow them off and light candles. Like we think, man, we're suffering Christians here. But think about in this culture how they, when the sun went down, on my side of town, amen, uh, when the sun went down, that literally they would have to come inside. They would gather in their homes. They might have a fire going. Who would know? We don't know exactly, but we do know this. They know that they would take their lamp, their oil lamp, and they would place it on this high portion in their house. It was a, a lamp stand that protruded out of their little wall, and they would set the lamp so that everyone in the house could see. Everyone in our house can see. Now, to us, in our culture, that doesn't make much sense thinking everybody's got lamps, because we live on the other side of Edison, amen. But think about how, if you've ever been in a room that didn't have a light, it's annoying. It's very annoying. When me and Emily bought our home, uh, we, bought in it, we bought into it, and then we started going through it. And you really realize on some of these older homes, I'm not making fun of your house, but if you've got an older home that was built in the 70s or around there in the 80s, there are some rooms they did not have a ceiling light. And it blew my mind. You would literally have to flick a switch to turn on lamps that were plugged into the switch to light the room. You talk about just depressing, <laughs> Like, you would walk in that room, you're like, where's the light? You hit the light, and there wasn't a lamp. You'd be like, there's no light in here. And so one of the first things we did whenever we bought our house, we went through and we put all new lighting in everywhere. Why? Because I told, uh, you know, I told our electrician, I was like, I don't want to see shadow. You know what I mean? Like, I want, a light, I want to be able to see everything. Why? Because I like light. I mean, I like bright rooms. I like light to be very, very bold. And I want to be able to see, right? You don't want to have a shadow. You don't want to worry about anything. You want to be able to see. You want to be able to see. Donnie, amen to that, amen. Because you know as well as I do, it's when you're down and depressed, you're like, I don't want the light to be on. Pull the the drapes closed. I don't want any light to come in because you know as well as I do, bad things grow in the dark. Mold grows in the dark. Fungus grows in the dark. The monsters on the last of us, amen, they grow in the dark. All of these things and much more glows, grows in the dark. And so Jesus here has those powerful words where he says what? He says, make sure if you have a lamp, you put it on a stand. You put it on a stand so that nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except it come to light. So what is this light? Who is the, what is the light? He's not talking about a physical light here. He's talking about a spiritual light, you could say. I love what John's gospel has to say in his opening, beginning of John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. It says what, this about Christ. It says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Think about how profound that statement is. In him was life. In Jesus was light. And the, light was, and the life was the light of men. Look what he says in verse number 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcame it. Has not overcome it. You know, it's powerful if you even take a football stadium or you were to take, uh, I'll give you the best example I know because if you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever been to Mammoth Cave, if you've ever been to Mammoth Cave, and if you have not went, I encourage you, you are a Kentucky resident. This is in our state. It is a national monument, so to speak, where it's a big, big deal. We have a massive cave system here in the state, especially in Kentucky. If you've never been family vacation this summer, you should go. They're not paying me for this. They should. I'll take money. Um, you know, that, that at the end of the day, you should go. Because it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to walk underneath you there. And we went there a long time ago when my mother took us. We were kids. I'll never forget it. They had what's called Fat Man's Misery. Some of y'all been there where you squeeze through the mites and tights. I'm probably saying it wrong. Donnie's going to correct me. And they, it always cracks me up that all the tour guides are like, do not touch them. And what does every little kid do? I'm a firm believer that they grow because we touch them. It's kind of like reverse psychology, amen, uh, because everybody touches them, and everybody wants to touch them. But you go through this huge, massive cave system, and you're down several hundred feet in the earth, and usually the God will bring in this massive cavern. Some of y'all have been there, if you know what I'm talking about. And you're in this massive cavern, and she or he will tell you, say, we're going to show off all the lights so you can see what darkness looks like. Because I think I know what darkness looks like. You know, you turn off the light anywhere, it gets dark. But let me tell you something. The darkest I've ever been in is in that room when that Torah guy shut off the lights. You talk about blackness, you talk about darkness. I'm, I'm reminded of what the, um, the Word of God says when it talked about in Egypt, whenever darkness fell, it was a darkness that could be felt. In that cave system, when they turned off the lights, it was so dark, you could not see your hand in front of your face. It was just blackness. Blackness that made you feel small. Darkness that made you feel dark itself. Like you felt it on your very being. You were like, it is dark. And then that same tour guide, what did she do? She took out just a single Zippo lighter. And she lit it. And it was profound how much that tiny little flickering Zippo with its barely minimum amount of fuel could light the entire cavern up. And you could see her clearly. You could see everyone around because it was just one little light because the Scripture tells us yet again the very complex but simple, profound message of our faith. That even in the midst of extreme darkness, that the light shines and that darkness has not overcame it. That the Son of God came into a political dark climate. That the Son of God came at a time where it was dark. That we ourselves, church, we, rep- we celebrate Christmas during the winter solstice which is considered to be the darkest part of winter for us. Because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And this has always been a theme in Scripture. You look at uh, the creation narrative. Look what it says in Genesis. Look what it says here. Look at this. Genesis 1, 3-5. Pay attention to this because you're going to miss it because I promise you we always miss it, church. The, The most profound things in the Bible we miss and slide right over. And God said, let there be light And there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. You missed it. I love you, but you missed it. Amen. Sorry, Kayla. Uh, But you missed it. And I missed it too. Shouldn't the text read... There was morning and then there was evening the first day. Shouldn't it read that way? Like, Think about like being correct. If God made the light and the dark and He separated the two, then the proper reading, we would think there's got to be morning and then there's got to be evening, God. Don't you know how the sun works? Don't you know how, to, how the cosmos works? But no, look what happens here. From the very first pages of Scripture, we're always reminded that darkness is lost. Because what does He say? What does the Scripture say? And there was evening... And then there was morning, on the first day. So what is God showing us in the very first verses of Scripture? Darkness can't win. As much as it might look like the dark is winning, guess what? Darkness cannot win. I'm reminded of the classic uh, phrase from The Dark Knight um, where Harvey Dent says the night is darkest just before the dawn. But guess what? The dawn is coming. Guys, come what may, darkness cannot win. No matter how dark it gets politically, no matter how dark it gets economically, no matter how dark it gets in our world, even though our world is verging, you could say, on the, the brink of World War III, even though there's tension in the East, there's tension in the West, even though stocks are down, even though uh, health concerns are high, even though all these things are going on, me and you have a hope that cannot be shaken by darkness because light wins. Because Christ wins. Christ wins. Because even if come what may, guess what, guys? We're going to win, not because we win, but because Christ has won. Christ has won. And me and you win. The church wins because He has won. Amen. Guys, we ride the bench all year and we still get a ring. Doesn't that make you smile when you see a championship team and you're the water boys getting a ring? He ain't done nothing. It's the stars that should get rings. But they benefit because they're on the same team. We benefit because we're in God's family. And so we take a lamp, and guess what? We set it high. What is Jesus getting at here, church? He's getting at this. He's getting at guess what? When people look at our lives, they see the lamp on full display. Like when they look at our home church, they see the lamp is on the lampstand. Oh, let me push you a little further. When they see your calendar. When they see your finances. When they see our Facebook pages. When they see our marriage. When they see our kids. When they see all these things is the lamp on the lampstand. Where people know. ask for them in their house, they serve the Lord. I'm reminded of Brother Mitchell's story of that young boy running over and saying that phrase, you're a man of God. They could tell by his very actions that he had the lamp on the lampstand. They could tell that. Do your neighbors know you're Christian because you come to church on Sunday but because of how you interact with them on Monday through Saturday? Which one is it? We were pulling out of our house two weeks ago and we came around the corner uh, leaving our neighborhood and on the left there there was a family they were going out the door and it, I thought I saw the man had a Bible and it took everything in me Kenneth, not to roll down and be like, Woo! a good Sunday with God. Do something crazy. Y'all know me, I, do, I do, but Emily was with me and I was thinking, do I fear the Lord or fear my wife in this moment? And I was thinking, I fear my wife. She is sitting behind me and I told her that. She said, well, they could have been going to a funeral. And I was like, on a Sunday? And she said, well, it was in the morning, they could be going to it like this. and that. It's, I wanted to because I was thinking, they're in, they're in our family. We're going to the same place. That small act of them walking out the door, he encouraged me the morning, man, they're going to church. They're going to church. Just a flicker in the darkness. Just a light in the darkness. Look, it says here the last part in Mark chapter 4, verses 24 through 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. you let, me, let me show you something here. This verse is taken out of context a lot. Look at me. This verse is Prosperity Gospel's bread and butter. They like to say it, the Lord will add to you, shake it up and multiply it, amen. That's what they do. They do their hands all fancy dancy and they always promise that if you give, the Lord will give to you. They say, you send us a check and God will give you a check right back. You listen to our uh, false prophet, uh, never mind, I'm not going to say his name, never mind, I will do that, on the local TV shows, you know what I'm talking about. He'll say, if you send some money to us, you can go outside, dig in the back of your yard, and you'll strike oil, and you'll be rich, and God will bless you, brother or sister. And it's sad to say, but their ministries have been built on the poor backs of poor women, children, and men. Because they take this verse and they twist it. Because you notice here what happens, Jesus is not talking about finances. No, what is he talking about here? Look what he says here. Pay attention to what you hear. He doesn't say pay attention to what you give. He doesn't say pay attention to what you have in the bank. He doesn't say pay attention to your Excel spreadsheets. He doesn't say pay attention to those things. No, the author of the statement sets the context for the statement. And Jesus here says, well, pay attention to what you hear. With what you measure, you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now if you ask me, how Jesus means it is way more serious than how we take it. I'm going to say it to you again. How Jesus means, what he means in context, is far more dangerous than what the local false gospel people are preaching. And I'll prove it to you. He says, what you hear, the measure you are given, the measure you are given when you hear, if you take it and you use it and you do it, then more will be given to you. But if you hear the word of God, look what he says here, you hear the word of God and you don't, take it and you don't use it then what you've been given itself will be taken away from you now what do I mean by this what is Jesus getting here let's expound the text here the one who is given more will be expected here's the thing guys you know what the privilege you have the privilege you have and I have is we have a copy of the word of God in our language We have a measure that's been given to you. You know another measure that's been given to you? You've been given a good job. You know a measure that's been given to you? You've been given a brain where you can comprehend things. You know a measure that's been given to you? You've got eyes that can read. You know a measure that's been given to you and me? We have the privilege to worship in a safe place with air conditioning and heat, padded pews, Fancy theological equipment when it works. Uh, We have the privilege and the measure of God's good grace in our lives in such a massive movement, church, that I'm sad to say that the people of God here in the United States have become spoiled, rotten children of God. And we've taken the gifts of God. We've loved the gifts more than we love the giver of the gifts. We love the blessing more than we love the blessor. And we've gotten lazy on the fat of the generous portion of God's grace. We've gotten lazy with it. We've gotten lazy with it. Professing to be wise, I know people who became fools. And all of our scientific advances, we've overlooked the very principle, basics of what God has said. He's, are you hearing me? Are you hearing what I'm saying, Jesus is saying? Because if you hear me, guess what? You better do something with it. Let me tell you, let me tell you Christian maturity. Listen to me. Pay attention. Look up here. Let me tell you something. Christian maturity. Christian maturity is not how much of this book you know. That's not Christian maturity. You know what that is? That's called Pharisees. They knew the book. They knew it. But they didn't live it. Christian maturity is not you just knowing the Word of God, but you living the Word of God. Christian maturity is you not just learning it, but putting it into practice because God's Spirit is at work in your life, bringing it to fruition. That's Christian maturity. That's Christian maturity. Because at the end of the day, you don't just tell people, you know what I think, you know how I feel. No, we show how we think. We show how we feel. It shows itself in its actions. Because your actions show what your thoughts are. They do. They always do. They always have. And the reality here is that Jesus really wants us to get at what James even beats on in the New Testament, what, what Paul beats on in the Galatians. He says, What? He says, Be not be doers of the word, and not hear, be you doers of the word, not hearers only. He says, What? Deceiving yourselves. He says, If you just listen to the word of God, but you don't do it, you're deceiving yourselves. For anyone who's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intensely at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he's like. He says, you're looking at yourself, but you're not really seeing yourself. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like that. Because the truth is, church, we don't have a Bible study problem. We've got a Bible Bible obedience problem. And I don't see anything. I just can't find resources. Guys, there's thousands of resources for free. You can get in your car in the morning and hit that Bible app and push play, and there'll be a man or a woman who will read the Word of God to you as you drive into work. There's fancy ones out there. I got a guy named Felix. He's, he's uh, English, amen. He'll read to you in an English accent. I'm waiting for Sean Connery, amen, to come on there. Because I'm telling you, we are so blessed, we are so saturated in the Word of God that it's sad to say it's, we've got root rot at our core. We're just overly saturated with it. And we should be doing more with what we have. Look what Paul tells the church of Galatians as I finish up here. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. Do not be deceived. Look what he goes on to say about that. He says verse number 9, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I tell you a word that's became a uh, cuss word in our culture is responsibility. It's so weird, that's a word right there. He tells me about, well, you're responsible for this. They look at you, like you got four heads. I saw a post the other day of an employer looking to hire people, and they simply had these instructions on their application. They said must show up on time, must stay the whole time, must not have AirPods in the whole time. This is on the application. Like it was, they had it on Facebook going around. It had all these. Ba- it had basic, what I consider to be basic employee requirements. Must have a brain. Oh yeah, gotta have a pulse. Oh, that's me. And as I read down through these replies Donnie, it 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 blew my mind how there are people who had a problem with somebody holding them accountable for the job they were putting in for. And the biggest problem, many of them were arguing says, Well, I don't you know, had you know, I don't think you have to be on time every day. I'm thinking, What? And then one person was going on around saying, Well, I think I should be able to listen to my music whenever I want to. And I was just thinking, What? Because I tell you what I know that you should know as well as I do, that nothing is free only thing that's free is God's free gift of God's grace. But everything else, it requires a lot of work and a lot of time, a lot of effort. And I said all that to say this, church, that there are times in life where you feel the pressure, the pressure, of your life, the pressure of you being pushed on by the culture, the pressure of you saying, do I believe the word of God, or do I believe my own word? Do I believe God is true, or do I believe the, the enemy is true? Like There's this constant pressure of you constantly being pushed on by the culture, and the Bible, biblical perspective you have, the biblical worldview is pushing back, and there's this constant pressure, because let me tell you something, it is really easy when your life is going well to you be like, hey, hey, life's going good, I believe in the God, I believe in God, I believe in the word of God, I believe it, I believe it, but 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 it's when the pressure comes, you really see if you believe it or not. But here's what I know. It's those moments where you were weary, that you were tired, that you were exhausted. It's those moments when your flesh was failing you. It's in those moments that you felt the sweet, sweet presence of God in your life. Because it is that pressure that makes diamonds. It is that pressure of the fire. It is the heat of the furnace that brings forth the impurities in the metal. And it is the goldsmith or the metal worker who then scrapes off the impurities only because the trial or the fire. Some of y'all are missing what I'm saying. You're going to get it next week. It's bringing out the bad in you. You might be like, Pastor Nick, why, why am I going through this stuff? Because God's trying to get more of you out of you and more of him into you. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to give you a measure. And what's the biggest measure? What's the biggest blessing Christ could give you? It's not money. It's not wealth. Those things are fleeting like the, like the very blades of grass. Fleeting. Always going away. No, the biggest gift you could ever receive, God's already given to you. He's given you himself. He's given you himself, church. He's given you his son. He's given you his spirit. And it's a shame we don't use that measure, that power God's already been given us. Because in those moments, where you feel like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing it. That God shows up and shows out in your life. Because in due season, guess what? You'll reap. But if we do not grow weary and give up, we've got to press on. We've got to press on. When COVID struck the prisons, you know, other people said, hey, we're not going there. What did Mircha do and his team? We're going to press on. We're not going to grow weary and do good. We're going to find another way. We're going to press on. We're going to press on. And guess what? What does God do who is gracious and good? God gives you a harvest. Because you press on. Some of you, you've been given a big measure been given a huge measure. What do I mean by a measure? You've been given a measure of people of influence. Some of our school teachers, God bless you, you get to interact with 20, 30 kids an hour. Get to love on them kids. Some of you work in the bank. Some of you work in the plant. You get to, re-run those, you get to be around those men and women who are rough as cobs, amen. They just rough. Every other word out of their mouth is a cuss word. And you're thinking, I'm going to win them Jesus by every word out of my mouth being a cuss word. That don't work. No, you've been placed in that darkness. Not that you can flee that darkness and be with the other lights, but you've been placed in that darkness to be a light. And to show people, hey, I live different, not because I am different, because somebody made me different, because that same person can make you different. Oh, that our church will be a beacon of light in this community. Oh, that us as people of God will be little... Zippo lighters of the gospel in the darkness of the cave around us, so that people are struggling, people are hurting, and we are struggling and we are hurting. They don't see us turn off our light and say, God's abandoning us, so they see us lift our light higher. It's a Christ has never left me. Christ has never abandoned me. Even though I might lose it all, Christ has never left me. Oh, that people would see us shine in the midst of darkness. Because let me tell you something, it's not going to get any brighter. It's not going to get any brighter, church. Some of you think, well, if we get the right man in the White House, it'll make things brighter. Some of you think, well, if we get the right person on the school board, it'll make things brighter. And I'm not saying we should not advocate for those things. I'm not saying we should be a part of those things. I'm not saying this. But what I am telling you is that there is coming a day when the sky will bust open and the light of the world shall come and it says in the Bible, guess what? Darkness flees from him. Until then, we just got to keep shining the light. Keep being the light. Keep shining the light. Keep saying, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Because I've been given a measure. And I'm going to be a good steward of the measure God's been given. And I'm going to bless others and love my neighbor well, love my family well. And I'm going to use the measure that God has given me to make other people's lives easier.